this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the in focus podcast i'm ji sampath your host for today's episode the tokyo olympics is finally kicking off this week one year late there is a lot of uncertainty around the event Tokyo is still under a covid emergency and there are many who worry that the olympics shouldn't become a public health catastrophe in japan itself public opinion is sharply divided with a large number of people not in favor of holding the games at this time in fact one of the biggest olympic sponsors toyota has said that they won't be running tv ads in japan which is one indication of the public mood But despite all this the show is set to go on and in India there is already plenty of excitement about the Olympics and India's prospects. So in this episode of In Focus we'll aim to get a sense of what's in store both within the sporting arena and beyond it. Joining us is Rakesh Rao, Deputy Editor Sports at The Hindu. Rakesh, welcome to In Focus. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much. Rakesh uh, so this olympics is being held in the middle of a pandemic uh, when tokyo would still be officially in a state of covid emergency that's right how do you think this will make this particular edition of the olympics different uh, both from the point of view of audiences and from the point of view of the athletes themselves sampath uh, well at the outset i must say that you know this games irrespective of you know who wins most medals or whatever in terms of whatever happens in the field of play these games will be remembered for being completely different than anything what we have seen in more than 100 years of olympic history um number one this is i mean i don't remember any on any occasion where a particular games they were you know forced to be postponed by a year and this is one games which is being held uh, in an odd odd numbered year uh, so what i understand here is that these are you know the i mean these games are being held i mean i think purely because of the commercial considerations if you if you look at the health consideration here that has been put on the back burner that is because what is at stake suppose uh, these games had to be postponed now a lot of people were talking about postponement or even cancellation of this postponement would have meant that taking it you know uh, i mean just holding the games in the following year which is 2022 which are being really put have been too close to the next games but if you look at the uh, you know if you just consider uh, how important the human life is that's what i think every nation across the world they have been fighting this thing whether it's livelihood or life so that choice had to be made at some point in time but when it came to olympics one year postponement was what they could take thereafter uh, it was pretty clear that the ioc was hell bent on holding the games now just to understand why is it that it is not in the hands of the host to cancel the games because the contract between the host city and the ioc is pretty clear these games belong to the ioc the international olympic committee and the organizing committee is just hosting the games so they don't have a right to cancel the games now if you go beyond now these games uh, i mean almost you know japan has spent close to 15 to 16 billion dollars now that is hell of a lot of you know 
uh, investment into into these games. And we often say that, you know, IOC tries to sell this idea that any host nation stands to gain a lot more by, by hosting these games in terms of, you know, a boost to its economy, employment. And of course, you can showcase, uh, you know, a certain cultural heritage of your country, thereby having a cascading effect on your tourism and so on and so forth. But does it really happen? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, you know, over the years, what I've seen is a lot of countries have accumulated, I mean, insurmountable, uh, you know, levels of debt. Uh, you know, they hold the games, they build infrastructure, and then that infrastructure remains under, you know, it's grossly underutilized. So in the case of Japan, I remember when they started off, they wanted to host the best games ever. Obviously, I mean, since the 60s, they haven't, uh, you know, like hosted uh, uh, an Olympic game. They did host the, uh, you know, Asian Games in 94 at, in, you know, like Hiroshima. But thereafter, Japan was just waiting to host a multidiscipline event. So when it comes to holding such games, there's nothing bigger than the Olympic Games. So Japan just wanted it so desperately. So imagine had these games been held in, during the normal course of time, I think we would have seen uh, the kind of technology which Japan had promised that they were going to, you know, showcase during these games. It was almost unbelievable. They were talking about beaming, you know, live live pictures in 8K. We have only heard of 4K, which is still not something, you know, which is which is not seen in India because we don't beam pictures in 8K technology. I mean, in 4K technology, although the sets are available for you to receive it, but you don't have the transmission. But they are already talking in terms of 8K. Now, Obviously, their economy has been hit. And there, in particular, if you look at it, their real estate has taken a serious hit. Aviation sector has taken a hit. Hospitality industry can't even, you know, even, you can't even talk about it because they are the worst hit in the last 16 to 18 months. Now, amidst all this, when you when you look at a host nation and the people living there, I mean, their resentment is very easy to un understand. Now, to make matters worse, despite the one year of postponement, COVID is back. I'm saying COVID is back because of the, I mean, the end of the second wave in most countries. And most of the countries are keeping their fingers crossed and, you know, awaiting the threat from a possible third wave. And here, when people travel to a country like that, you can imagine 15,000 athletes from more than 200 countries. And not every athlete, uh, you know, gets the kind of... Uh, you know, immunity or gets, you know, like immunized uh, with the available, uh, you know, vaccine or whatever, um, that that threat is always there. So the moment they land, you need to, I mean, there is a mandatory RTPC test and whatever other things which they've been added to the RTPC. That means you are going to be tested every single day as long as you are in Japan. So these games for any athlete is going to be quite a challenge because you the moment you step in, the moment you land at the Tokyo airport, you are taken in a certain secure zone. Now, you're not supposed to step out of that zone. Now, games are not about, you know, keeping players confined. They're supposed to step out. They're supposed to meet people, you know, mingle with them and just enjoy the spirit of Olympics. So in that case, I mean, you know, if you just take that as a scale, uh, these games are going to be nowhere close to that. Even the journalists are not able to interact with with players apart from the mix zone, um, you know, you 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 can't even you know meet them casually. 
and if and, and the question of going out of that secure zone doesn't even arise because every athlete and every journalist uh, the card which they carry which they're supposed to carry 24 hours a day there is a chip there's a gps chip which will you know like you're tracked your movements are tracked that means if i go out of the zone and it'll be it'll be known in seconds and somebody will come they will say mr so and so please you know just follow us and they will probably bring you to the airport and say you are being deported that's the kind of threat that they've issued and that's the kind of games that we are looking at it's it, it doesn't sound very great but then ioc says that instead of not having the games at all and suffering i think a very very high amount of loss in terms of not getting the broadcast fee because this is eventually all about broadcast fee which runs into billions of dollars and for ioc to survive these games have to happen because this is their biggest source of revenue every four years so they want to have these games and winter games also you know brings in certain amount of you know uh amount i mean certain amount of uh, uh it's not just a small amount it's it is a sizable amount, but nothing compared to what these summer games bring in. So uh, they want to have it. The organizing committee has no choice. People of Japan have no choice. That is the whole problem here. So you have a reluctant host and a very excited IOC because they just want that, okay, now we have come to the eve of the championship. I mean, the eve of the event might as well have it, fingers crossed. Right. Yeah, I think you have laid out pretty uh, comprehensively the reasons why these games had to be held no matter what and the commercial consideration of course comes right on top. However, there is also uh, many people would argue uh, that these games are really, really important for the athletes themselves who put in like years, you know, three years, four years, ten years of preparation and if you don't hold it, it's going to be an even bigger disappointment for the athletes, you know, regardless of commercial considerations being involved. So, isn't that also one of the reasons why it was important to hold it? Yeah, that has, see, that should have been the primary objective. You you want to hold the games because it's important for the players. Because why do you have games? What is the single biggest component when you when you hold anything? That is the sportsmen, the players, the participants. Then comes, you know, organizer and sponsors, the media. If if a, if a wheel has four spokes, it begins with players, followed by the organizer, because for the players to be around, somebody has to organize an event. For an organizer to have events, he needs funding. That's where the sponsor and the corporate support steps in. And once that happens, the, the sponsor or the patron will ask a question, what is there for me in it? That's why you say, look, the media is around, you're going to get publicity. So that is the fourth spoke of the wheel which is the media. So here, it's not so. Here, it's the sponsors who come first. Then, once the sponsors have agreed, then they say the games are on, you better come. So, I mean, I mean, it's not, it's not in the same order as we were told that the wheels of world sports, you know, they have these spokes, but the order is different here. The commercial considerations supersede everything else. So, for the players who have been preparing, there also, there is a mix a lot of people who were not as fit as they were say at that point in time in 2020 they got time to recover so they are not complaining a lot of players on the wrong side of the 30s they are older by a year now so they have every reason to feel oh my god you know uh, uh, i could have done a shade better had i been one year younger now somebody like leander pace 
who had an opportunity. He had already announced that the Tokyo Games would be his last record uh, record making one. Uh, then he realized that, uh, of course, the events were not happening, and his form was nowhere close to what he had expected it to be. So he lost out on a on a on a huge opportunity there. So you will find a mix with whether the athletes are well prepared or not. Um, the the set of circumstances are different in different countries. So, uh, you know, for example, Indians, we wasted at least eight to 10 months because we couldn't give our players a secure zone to train. Whereas if you take, for example, uh, you know, like uh, Denmark as an example, uh, they told their badminton players, like, look, you guys are in contention for a gold, for a gold in that sport. So what you do is that you come to a secure zone, we'll give you complete security and you'll we'll we'll give you a, a you know a very secure sort of uh, an environment where you can train so the danish players started training as early as march last year that was the time when we were considering whether we should go for a lockdown partial lockdown or a total lockdown the danish players were training at that time because europe was first hit then by the time we woke up uh, you know, and we went uh, and we just slammed down everything. We just said, okay, no sports, no swimming, nothing. All the facilities were shut. The players were forced to stay indoors. Here, probably if we had a vision, uh, thinking that, okay, let's assume that this is not going to end in a hurry. So let's give a safe uh, kind of, a, you know, uh, a passage or something where they could be together in different cities, obviously. But I think that was possible because a lot of countries did that. Now, that is where you're going to see the difference in performances because somebody like Sindhu didn't train for months together and she's one of the contenders here. But if you look at China, where the players didn't compete for the last 16 months, they last competed in March 2000, the All England Championship. Now, for them to be back into competition mode after 16 months is going to be difficult. But then the kind of, uh, you know, competition they have at home, they don't have to necessarily play tournaments. But everybody is waiting for the Chinese players to come and say, okay, what they have done in the last 16 months remains to be seen. So they, they carry an element of surprise. But it is not something that every country could do. There are half-way preparations of these players who were like serious contenders a lot of players are disappointed because they are not in great shape. It was very difficult to stay in shape where you couldn't access a gym. If you have a gym at home, great for you. But not every Indian athlete can afford to have that. So a lot of players kept complaining that, look, we are not in great physical shape. So people had to do their own little things at home to stay in shape till things improved. So I've spoken to a good number of Indian athletes. They had their complaints and, and they couldn't travel abroad. And so many things happened. So to say that whether our players are as ready as they would have liked it to be, I don't think that, I mean, their people will give you an honest answer, but they will tell you all about it if they don't win as expected. So they have just reserved that as, I mean, you call it a reason or an excuse, but uh, they're just holding all these things just to escape embarrassment. Right. I mean, let's hope uh, we don't get uh, too many reasons to use those excuses, uh, bring them out. Absolutely, sir. Yeah. So, uh, so coming to India's uh, prospects, I mean, this year's contingent, we have about, I think, 126 people 
is supposed to be the largest ever India has uh, dispatched to the Olympics. Can you give us a quick overview of the distribution of the various sports uh, in our team, which is headed to Tokyo, and how it compares with the contingent we have sent uh, to the previous Olympics? Is it that we have got a far greater number of contenders this time, that we have got a bigger team? Uh, well, if you go purely by numbers, last time it was uh, 117, 117. Today it stands at 126. That's like hardly hardly any great difference. I mean, there's just a difference of you know uh, nine extra nine extra members. Okay, nine more gold medals. That means. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you can expect nine gold medals, because that is exactly the number what India has won in its history. I mean, in its Olympic history, we have won nine gold medals, eight from hockey and one from Abhinav in shooting. So that is a grand total we have to show nine gold medals in the history of Olympic sports for India. So, coming to your question, uh, you know, the distribution is, of course, as I said, 126 is the total number, 70 men and 56 women. Now, that's pretty even, I must say. Um, and uh, a lot of people talk about, you know, I mean, the, you know, this thing about whether women get an equal opportunity to compete. Now, you can have socioeconomic reasons on, in, in a lot of other sectors, but when it comes to sports, I think it's pretty even. So, 70 men. 56, uh, 56 you know, like ladies. Uh, we are going to compete in 18 different events spread across almost 70 events in all. Seven, 18 disciplines, about 70 events. Now, what I mean by 70 is in 70 events, you will have an Indian participant. Right? So you can have more than one in the same event, but that is across the thing. So Indians can at best get medals from 70 different events. That means... So maximum we could get 70 medals. No, we can get more because in one event you have more than one Indian. Right, right. So what if both of them? So that, of course, you're looking at a medal which is like 85, 90, which is, which is almost ridiculous. Okay. So we will not even go anywhere close to that. But coming back to these numbers, how does it all, you know, uh, you know, weigh against it? Now, for me, at least out of these 18 events, let me just, you know, uh, you know, just make it very clear. That in these 18 events, in majority of events, we are not in contention. We are not in contention out of these 18 where we are being represented. And last year, as compared to 2016, we are participating in three more events. Now, the good sign is if you, if you just go back to, say, 1980. 1980, we had competed in hockey. Just hockey. In 84, it went up to 5 events. In 88, it became 10. In 92, it became 12. 96, 13. 2013. Again, in 2004, in Athens, it went up by 1. It became 14. In 2008, it came down by 2. That means it became 12. In 2012, it was 13. Went up to 15 in 2016. And this time, we had 18. So, we are showing some kind of a growth here. Say, uh, from 2008 to 2018, we have added six new disciplines for our participation. You know, we are now participating in more number of events, most in the history of our, uh, you know, sports. That's one. But what does it actually mean? You know, just because we say that we are sending the largest contingent across largest number of disciplines ever. They, see, what we are not saying here is that these are people who have qualified. Now, when because a lot of things that you see on television these days, that you know, come on, India, go for gold. I'm all for it. I mean, you can, you can, you can actually 
encourage your teammates which is what a nation is supposed to do you can you can you can do anything and everything to encourage your own sportsmen who are playing under the national flag till this point everything looks great now are we taking responsibility for the impression we are giving to the people of this country across states uh, you don't have to look at region people's education level their ability to comprehend through television channels which is which is the most uh, you know the most powerful medium today we have all everybody right from amitabh bachchan to sachin tendulkar to you know some corporate head everybody is talking about go for gold now if that is the intention i i'm i'm, I'm all for it but my question is is anybody taking responsibility for this hype what are we trying to tell them that indians are going to be there in huge numbers and we are going to set records and come back with bag full of gold medals or just medals i don't think so let me tell you out of these events as i said out of 18 in my view about 11 events you can just set them aside and say we are going to be only part of the results we are not in contention seriously we have absolutely no chance of winning a medal it is like there are people who have you know qualified at the last minute and most of them are like you know students who have just got pass marks if you if you set it at 40 out of 100 a lot of these indians have just got 40 to 45% marks now when they go to the olympics and you and now expect these 45% holders to go and compete for the for for uh, you know for a medical seat or a seat in a professional college what do you really expect them to get that seat no because there they are competing with people who got 90% or more everybody is you know the i mean the creamy layer doesn't come below 90 95% now is it fair to expect these 45% or you know this entire lot to go and be in contention obviously the answer is no so bring down these expectations don't expect any medal from i'm just giving you random names whether it's equestrian fencing golf gymnastics judo rowing sailing uh, swimming table tennis tennis i mean no, there is absolutely no chance so all these events which i have just you know reeled off don't expect any medal from these now having having segregated it from uh, you know from this lot of 18 now let's talk about where we can expect something you know outside chance in in archery mixed team event one in athletics you can expect one medal expect one medal from neeraj chokra the guy Who is in javelin? In boxing, if you are lucky, you'll have uh, you know like uh, Merikom can win something or Dhan uh, or uh, you know Amit Pangal if he's hundred percent fit. Because in contact sports, you have to you have to always remember no matter how how good those boxers are, how high their world ranking is, in contact sport, if you if you pick up an injury early in your campaign, that means you are not going to last the distance. if 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 a boxer injures his thumb because he has landed a punch in a, you know in a certain angle and he gets hurt he doesn't have time to recover every alternate days he has about initially so you know you got to be fair with him. i mean fair to him and his chances there same is the case with archery you know with archery for example i mean sorry uh, um uh, the same is uh, with a sport like uh, wrestling again contact sport anything can happen so one has to be fair to these athletes also and a lot of people are talking about shooting 
Now, for me, shooting has always been a precision sport. Now, when I say precision sport, that means on that day, how well you shoot. That means, again, you can shoot a world-class score and that could be your best ever. But how the competition shoots on that day depends on what, on whether you are in the top three or not. So shooting, you can expect 10 medals. You can expect one medal. You can, you can get none. So this is what happened last time around. We sent a good number of, uh, you know, entries. And uh, out of this entire lot, it was, it was quite similar to what it was here. I mean, what it looks like today. A lot of people said, oh, my God, you know, our shooters are going to do very well. Again, what we saw there was only two people made it to the final. Only two. And some of the World Cup winners from India in the past, they were finishing 33, 37, 27, like that. So they were nowhere in contention. So when we talk about shooting, yes, we have good chances, but let's get real. The, the nature of sport is such, first, you have to ensure that you are in the final. That means you're shooting good enough on that day to be among the top six or the top eight. Then you try and get into the top three. So let's be very real. I, I'm not trying to give any false hopes. And I hope I don't sound pessimistic. I'm being as realistic as I can get. So shooting, you have a decent chance. Boxing, as I said, couple of couple of contenders, yes. Badminton, there's only Sindhu. Don't expect anything from Sai Praneet or the doubles. Uh, then uh, we have to look at hockey, for example. We can we can talk about hockey at length, but but allow me to just skip hockey hockey for now. Uh, then uh, if you look at uh, weightlifting, we have one, and this is where I think that if if I were to pick one Indian athlete in this in this in this in this heap of one twenty six, there's one athlete, Mirabai Chanu. I expect her to come back with a medal. No ifs, no buts. She is in contention, right? And again, in wrestling, as I said, if if our players are injury-free, then expect uh, Bajran Punia. Uh, he's the only Indian to have won three world championship medals. That means he's up on the, among the elite. Uh, you can expect Vinesh Fogat. Uh, she's one of the best in her weight category. So a couple of them from there, you can expect. But unless they make it into the medal round or something, I'm not very sure because they can always come back and say, look, we trained pretty hard, but I was injured in the very first first encounter, so I couldn't carry on. So uh, because having seen Indian sports for more than three and a half decades, I've heard these excuses and genuine, I mean, genuine reasons, even if, it, I mean, of course, not everything can be labeled as excuses. But people do come up with certain things. Either they are hiding an injury to be at the games. That is also there because they were insured before they left for Tokyo. That is also one of the, the, the things which we, which we'll never know, actually. But people do try to hide injuries. And then they give you this impression that, uh, you know, uh, oh, my God, I tried so hard and blah, blah, stuff. But realistically, don't get swayed by the highest number of Indians at an Olympic Games. Don't get swayed by the number of disciplines that India has a representation in. That is it. Just look at it the way it comes. Take it one day at a time and see how they are performing. And a lot of people like in swimming and all you will see because it's a measurable event. You you already know where they are. You know, the, the, the qualifying list gives you an idea. If their best timing is at the 48th place, 
that means 47 people during the season have given better timing than them don't expect him to be anywhere close to the top three at best what he can do is he can go there and perform his best and set a new national record uh, that's a pretty sobering assessment of our chances. Uh, thank you for that. So just to, before we wind up, one final question. I remember you did say that we'll come back to hockey later. Can you just uh, sum up our uh, our possibilities in terms of uh, a medal or otherwise in hockey? Okay, so for me, uh, hockey, see, in terms of uh, the ranking which we enjoy, uh, we are close to that because we are ranked fifth in the world. Our best ha- ever happens to be fourth. Uh, in recent years, but we are fifth at the moment. So for me, Indians making it to the knockout should be an easy thing because uh, it looks quite easy to me. But what happens next is a major problem because uh, once in the knockout stage, then what are we going to do? Are we, are we? I mean, there we have to really raise the bar and do something very, very special there. Now, because if you if you just look at the history of Indian Indian Olympics briefly, I just want to give you an idea. That in 41 years, we have not entered the semifinals of either the World Cup nor the Olympics. So that should give you an idea where we are. And we keep talking about, you know, India has immense talent and, you know, we don't have the resources. But it doesn't apply to hockey. If we couldn't find 11 talented men to represent India in 41 years, I think I think there's something is wrong, which we really take, need to take a close look. But if you look at the two Champions Trophy performances, in 2017 and, and, and 2019, we, we reached the finals and we lost in the tiebreaker. So that is the biggest takeaway for me. But Indians will have to punch above their waist to be in contention. Right. Let's hope uh, not just in hockey, but in other sports as well, uh, we do punch above the weight. And, uh, and we'll have to wait and see how this unfolds over the next couple of weeks. And hopefully we'll get together again for more such conversations on the Olympics. Rakesh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Atan. And thanks a lot for having me on the show, Sapan. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.